0: We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. With Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, we will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike.
1: Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Mike Slatman. I am an expert fire investigator and uh, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. I have over 45 years experience in investigations.
2: And this is Donna Ingram. I have 30 years experience in fire and fraud. I'm a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators and thanks for joining us.
1: Yes, today we got a great show. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the fire service uh, training uh, uh, for uh, and chapter training for for fire investigators. We're going to talk about private investigations and how they deal with um, uh, exchanging information uh, between the private and and uh, and uh, public service investigators. And we have. Really good guests today. We've got uh, Todd Kirkhoff, who is a um, is a fire marshal for Consolidated District Number 2 of John- Northeast Johnson uh, County, Kansas. He's got over 24 years' experience in fire service and is uh, the fire marshal for them. And is also a, the vice president of the Kansas chapter of the International Association of Arson Investigators. He has a master's degree in business administration, and he's on the technical committee for NFPA 1033, the standard for professional qualifications for fire investigator, that's something that's really um, every fire investigator has to meet. That um, has, we're going to talk about wonderful 16 things that we have to be trained in above high school level. We also have uh, Alexander Alexander Kanan, otherwise known as Alex. He's my uh, best friend, actually, and and I know him for over forty years. And we were fire uh, well, well, we were detectives uh, together on the Major K Squad in St. Louis County. Uh, he has over thirty-four years of experience serving the, the insurance and manufacturing industries and the legal profession as a private fire investigator, um, and he um, has over. Uh, investigated over four thousand fires, and um, and so he is also, uh, since retiring, and he just retired last year, uh, has continued to serve on the board of directors for the Kansas chapter the IAAI, International Association of Arson Investigators, and he's the president of the Kansas City Arson Task Force. So there you are, and how about that? So, and then we have Kevin Savage, who uh, who is he uh, was an ex uh, ATF. Um, Agent, and he was former police officer in the city of Champaign. He's ah uh, had over twenty six years as a special agent with the ATF and spent twenty of those years on the South Texas border in um, the last uh, nine years as a certified explosion expert and 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 uh, and a certified fire investigator. And uh, he also has uh, has trained at uh, the ATF National Center for Explosions uh, and Training and Research. And, uh, throughout the um, and throughout the states um, and so let's welcome you first uh, in, in line so as uh, people know who uh, you are Todd uh, thank you for being here uh, it's my pleasure thanks for having me and Alex um, so that they recognize your voice please say something uh, you can say something profound if you'd like hi Mike how are you <laughs> thank you thanks for inviting me you're welcome and Kevin can are you down out there I am out here, and thank okay. you for the invitation. Uh, thank you very much. Now let's uh, so so we won't disappoint our, our, our uh, audience about what we're going to talk about. Todd, we'll start with you first, and and uh, we're, I wanted to talk about the um, what what the fire department does when they first get to the scene. Uh, what's your responsibility as a fire investigator as a public service person? Well, the
3: first thing I do when I arrive at a fire scene is usually report to
1: the incident commander
3: uh, just to try to get uh, just the basics of what's going on, uh, what they saw when they got there. I'm going to start the initial scene assessment with the safety survey at that point, uh, try to find out the scope of the investigation and uh, determine what kind of resources we're going to need, whether it's going to be a task force activation or if I'm going to have to have uh, overtime personnel respond, or maybe we're just going to sit on the scene till the sun comes up. But uh, we're just trying try to, initially on the scene, we just try to get a feel for what we have to do.
1: Right. And then, and then after you get into, well, in the investigation itself, what's your, what's your goal for the investigation? Well, working for the, the,
3: the public sector, working for the fire department, my primary goal when conducting the, uh, the investigation is to determine whether or not a crime has been committed
1: right and and if it has been committed or that's that takes one direction but if it hasn't um, it takes an entirely different direction correct well that's true uh if if during the
3: course of the investigation we feel like uh somebody has you know set the fire intentionally uh we are going to contact detectives and we're going to get the police involved and uh on the other hand if we uh for example you know have three different potential ignition sources but all of them are accidental we're going to do our best to leave the scene uh as undamaged as possible and uh, allow for the uh private investigators to come in and take a look and do what they have to do
1: well is it true that fire all fire service personnel were scared by windows when they were children so they have to break every one of them yeah (laughs) i think that is true (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, truck companies can get pretty aggressive sometimes. Yeah, no. So, all right. So, really, the the thing for the that that's my attempt at humor, gentlemen. All right. So, anyway, so um, what about? Uh, okay. So, you're. Let's say that um, that you don't have an incendiary fire. It's not a criminal act. So you um, you said you don't. You want to leave it as undamaged as possible. You also want to preserve. Do, what every area that area of origin is is correct is
3: yeah <clears throat> we have a couple of different ways of making sure that nobody gets into uh to alter the scene after the fire department leaves um Usually we'll call a contractor, depending upon the size of the fire, we'll call a contractor and they'll board up the uh, exterior of the structure and we'll just deny access. We have to do that in situations where that building presents a danger to the community. We don't want small kids running around saying, hey, there's a fire over here, let's go check it out. Next thing you know, they have a nail through their foot or something falls on them. So we've got to secure the structure. Sometimes if it's a small room and content, uh, we'll just secure the area of origin um, but uh, somehow we want to protect that area. The area that we've decided is the area that warrants further investigation, or the area uh, where we determined the fire started.
1: Uh, we want to preserve that for people who are following us. Right. And so, if it was like a, a product liability case, let's say that it was um, a kitchen. Uh, there's four things on a counter, and uh, a microwave, and a blender, and a and a coffee maker, and uh, and, and you know, and some kind of uh, other. Uh, well, like a radio, and they're all sitting on the counter, and we and you determine that it's it's not a set fire, and it's it's on the counter. Right. Will you tell the Do you tell the uh, homeowner that uh, you know that they should leave that area alone and and call their insurance company or? What well, do do?
3: ideally, we'll deny them access completely. That's not always possible, but in situations where uh, we have a situation like that, uh, we will. We we've got paperwork and, and scene tape and things like that where we'll we'll coordinate off with scene tape and we'll have uh, a piece of paper hanging there that uh, I might forget the exact verbiage on there, but it says something, you know, to the effect to stay out of here. Uh, this area contains potential evidence, uh, pertinent to your in- insurance claim. So, uh, we try to motivate them as best we can to not go into the area of origin.
1: Right. I always recommend that, uh, at least be taped off and, and, uh, and a photograph taken by the fire department as to how they left it so that they there can't be any, later on, uh, some kind of uh, allegation that uh, that you guys uh, uh, somehow destroyed or spoliated the evidence. Uh, I think that's a, a great idea for fire departments if, they're, if it's a non-criminal act Leave the things alone, tape it off, tell tell the people to stay away from it, take a photograph as how you leave it, and, and that way um, nobody can say that you did something wrong. Now, Alex, now you you were, uh, oh, oh, 35 years in uh, in fire investigations, right? Yes. And uh, you were a private investigator, so you're the guy that would have got the call that, that came to the scene for the insurance carrier for or the insured, uh, the person that owned the house, or whatever, or an attorney working in their behalf. Uh, What was your responsibility at these things?
4: Well, much in the same as Todd's, as the public, our purpose is to determine the origin and cause of the fire. Uh, The insurance company is normally looking for a responsibility for the incident. Uh, So we appreciate it when the fire department just, takes it as far as they wanna take it and then leaves it. Not that we have anything against the fire department, but it just helps us do our job uh, more thoroughly.
1: Right, and you can and usually have a lot of uh, resources that the individual, sm- and particularly smaller fire departments like rural fire departments don't have in that you can bring in engineers. You can bring in an electrical engineer,
4: a mechanical engineer to look at a furnace, uh, an environmental uh, person
1: or whatever right and so and that's where it gets down to it and then uh and then so you would also throw a what they call a joint examination right yes if i
4: go to the fire scene and i have determined uh, through my own investigation that it like content will take the example of it starting on a kitchen counter and we have these four items there that all potentially could have caused the fire i try to identify them and their history from the insured and from the looks and then we will notify uh, those product manufacturers who are, who will then in turn uh, notify their insurance carriers. Or if it's a case where it was the, someone had just worked on the appliance, the, the installer or the repairman will be put on notice.
1: Yeah, and so, the, and so now we have a, a big potential party of, of fire investigators coming in from all over the place to these manufacturers and everything else, right? That's correct,
4: they come from anywhere in the country.
1: I worked one one time up at the Quad Cities that had forty four investigators there, and no. uh, it was a, it was a large fire. Needless to say, it was a three million dollar fire, and we had even people uh, from the lawn sprinkler company because they had a control head in the basement, and the fire was on the third floor. Mm-mm. Well, I recall a fire <laughs> where someone had to come because they represented the ductwork person. Yes, I I, <laughs> I I remember that one too for some reason, and and uh, and and Kevin. Uh, now you're yeah. a private fire investigator, now, right? You were at the ATF, right? Yeah. And so um, initially, now, if you had a ma- if you had a large loss, like millions of dollars or something, and uh, and Todd got there and they and he said, "Oh, uh oh, it's time for us to pull in," uh, and you know, there's a reason to pull in uh, the ATF. You you would actually respond with the national response team. Is that correct?
5: Yes, I did. Uh, I've had about uh, 8 or 10 responses under my belt before I retired.
1: Yeah, and so in, at that time, you bring a whole team of agents in and they, they conduct investigations and they have certain assigned duties and some people do interviewers and some people do diagrams and some people do other documentation and, and, uh, and a lot of people dig uh, the fire scenes out, is that right? Yes,
5: and uh, for some reason they always ask me to dig. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you look uh, like a natural yes.
1: digger. That's it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but, anyway uh, but then if you determined what caused the fire, if it was not a criminal... Oh, you similarly you were you were trying to determine whether or not a fire uh, was incendiary, right? Whether it was a set fire, correct?
5: Yes, I mean uh, a lot of you know a, a lot of people think that because ATF was is called to a fire that there must be there because uh... it's a suspect fire um, mm. many times it's because the area that has the fire doesn't have the capability of uh... doing a complete investigation manpower money equipment um, and a lot of times that's why we're there um, so when we do get there for those of course we don't go in there with any preconceived notions or ideas uh... so as we work the scene uh, we're looking for anything and everything, uh, and in the uh, as uh, Todd said before, uh, uh, you you know you've got somebody doing interviews, you're collecting information, and as those people are out there doing that, you're collecting information on the fire scene, and uh, hopefully in almost real time, sharing information back and forth, uh, and then getting getting closer to coming to a determination as to whether or not you're looking at a potential criminal act or a potential accidental or an unknown right Uh, and it's always fluid
1: yeah that's all you said and uh, and not only that but uh, some well we've had some uh incidents where uh firefighters are killed um or you have a, a you know a large amount of uh of deaths uh uh, in a, a civilian uh, establishment or something, and uh, and ATF is called in uh, on those kind of uh, losses too. Are they not?
5: Yes, they are, and um, and a, a lot of times for the same, you know, the the reason I had mentioned, um, because maybe they don't have the ability to to do it themselves, or they do have it, but they want an independent source there uh, to assist. Uh, to make sure that it, it is done in a proper way, uh, they cannot be questioned uh, because it is possibly one of their own who uh, lost their life
1: in the fire. Yeah, I understand. Um, now, okay, so now now the scene security during one of those things is very important, and you keep people out, right? Uh, that from is just correct. Just wondering. Yeah, we, yeah, right. We set up. And now, first. so so I want to see how you feel now about standing on the other side of that tape for <laughs> for two days. So, you Uh, you know,
5: when I was doing it, um, I mean, these are just my experiences. um, And by no means do I speak for all ATF CFIs or all in our our team members. uh, My experience was when we were working a scene and if we had come to at least had a theory of what happened and it wasn't leading towards a criminal act, and we observe something that might be of interest to somebody in the private sector. We would, uh, and we knew that somebody was present outside the perimeter. We would stop, allow those uh, that investigator in, show them what we had found, allow them to take a picture, uh, measurements or whatever, uh, a brief amount of time, and then escort them back off the scene. Uh, I, and I do know that that is not always the case on every nrt i've heard
1: well, those stories <laughs> well, I, yeah i understand i appreciate that i'm glad that, that that's still happening because uh, that's been my experience too but it's also been i've also stood outside the thing for three days and on the other side of the tape um but anyway well let's talk about let's talk about uh kansas and missouri um now um todd's the vice president of kansas Uh, chapter IAAI, and Kevin, you're on the board of directors for Missouri, is that correct? That's correct, Uh, board of
5: directors and uh, on, on the training committee
1: okay, so let's talk about that, and we'll start with you then uh, and then we we'll go to Todd but what is Missouri? what is Missouri doing as far as uh training for Todd's on this uh, wonderful ten thirty three committee what is uh what is uh, Missouri doing to train to those to those sixteen things that uh, everybody has to be cognizant in and above the uh, high school level what are what are they doing
5: well we I like to when we, we talk about these things, identify what needs to be done almost as if we're following the scientific method. Um, Identify those 16 points, uh, find instructors that um, are proven to be effective in teaching those points, and uh, get that information out to our potential um, students and let them know that we are going to be teaching to these points, which goes to their certifications, um, and the need for them to uh, to have have this training. Because there are a lot of people out there that do not know that these 16 points are now mandatory for certifications in, uh, in our trainings. So uh, that's why I, I identify what what's out there, what we have trained on, what we have not trained on to those 16 points, and then find, figure out you know, what we're gonna do, find those instructors that are certified and qualified, and uh, get them in for the training.
1: Right, well that's 1.3.7 and 1.3.8 on 1033 that uh, all fire investigators should know about. And any fire investigator uh, that is a professional should have a copy of 1033, uh, they just should. Um, now and uh, and so, okay. IWAI has uh, certified uh, fire investigators that are also certified instructors, and so some of those people are are training for you. I'm sure, correct?
0: Yes,
5: yes. And uh, and when I meant certified instructors, that what that is what I was referring is to finding those IWI certified instructors to teach <laughs> to those points.
1: Okay, and, and what about you, Todd? You're you're a you were training, uh, but you're a vice president of K- Kansas, and you were tr- on their training committee before. I know, were not you?
3: Uh, yeah, I was the training chair before I became vice president. Uh, very similarly, Kansas chapter. Uh, of course, we meet quarterly, uh, and in those quarterly meetings, we discuss <clears throat> the different uh, trainings that we're having. Uh, we always have our annual training seminar the first week of February. Uh, and uh, the training committee now uh, always takes into consideration that list of 16 uh, and makes sure that we're meeting uh, certain points. Uh, you know, for example, in the 2014 edition, they added three points, uh, three additional uh, uh, items to the list. And uh, we've had that uh, electrical training, that uh, evidence training, and fire protection systems training. Um, so that's definitely something we have to take into consideration,
1: and I think we do a pretty good job of it. Well, that's great because uh, then the next question is: is uh, now because 1033 is this standard that all professional fire investigators have to meet? Then we, as private investigators, not only attend the, the chapters, but we also turn uh, we also attend the International Association of Arts Investigators conference for a week. Uh and Alex uh, you're you were with uh uh, you, you've been on, on different private investigations. Uh, uh, well, you're familiar with private investigation companies, don't they? Do they have they have to meet the standard too? Don't they? Sure,
4: they do. They have to meet it. It's a standard for fire investigators, and then say a standard for public fire investigators or private fire investigators. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed too is that now I have uh, being on the arson task force and the Kansas chapter. There are actually fire chiefs out there who are de- uh, requiring. Uh, that these courses contain the, these 16 points, otherwise they won't let their uh, people go to the seminars now.
1: And that, that's great because uh, I'm very happy to hear that. And and also, well, the well, the arson task force. You're the president of it. You're the, I guess it's the president. Isn't yes. It? Yes. Okay. So so you uh, you get to um, you have some influence about what's presented. And uh, you've also trained to those things, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. the arson task force is much like the Kansas chapter or the Missouri chapter. It's designed for education. Yeah, that's right. And we, in fact, um, next uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to have a um, we're going to have the Ocean County Prosecutors' Arson Task Force uh, represented on the show to talk about, not only their training and how they're constructed, but also about a, a, a large larger cases that they've worked on. So uh, now the arson task force um, it, it, is that a responsive body or is that just a training? A it's,
4: training? it's strictly a training uh, body. It was formed in 1982 to provide uh, training in, in uh, fire investigation in, in the Kansas City metro area. Yeah.
1: In fact, they, they were so silly. I was the first. Private sector president, so <laughs> they, so I know I know about that. Being I'm old, anyway. But uh, but uh, Todd, you're also a part of a, a, a task force here, the Eastern Kansas Multi County Task Force. Is that correct? <clears throat> yeah, the Eastern Kansas
3: Multi County Task Force is a group of investigators uh, in uh, Northeast Johnson County that uh, all have basically what amounts to a mutual aid agreement. To where, if one jurisdiction gets uh, uh, that one fire that really taxes their resources, they're available. their the, the task force is available to call for help. Right, so that is a responsive
1: body. That they is actually, a
3: responsive body.
1: Right, so they can go and work the fire scene together and they all mm-hmm. cooperate. And that, similarly to the the I guess the uh, national response team for ATF, you, you certain certain people are are, are designated a certain job to these titles, right? Yeah,
3: uh, we we have certain procedures that we have to follow in terms of um, activating the task force. Uh, The first thing, basically, what we have to do is the person who's activating the task force has to notify the dispatcher that uh, they need X number of resources, all right? Now, maybe they need 10 fire investigators, maybe they need uh, two police officers for interviews, Uh, maybe they need a photographer, maybe they need heavy equipment. There's uh, basically during their initial scene assessment, they've identified the resources that they're going to need, and now they're asking for them. Yeah, okay, good. Um, and
2: back th- in the day, uh, private individuals also were involved in that task force. The first fatality I ever worked was that task force, which is no longer the case, and rightly so.
1: Yeah, it, we, Yeah. We. Um, I've been on the task force for years, uh, but pure, purely as a training person, and um, Okay, so uh, what I want to talk about when we, we're going to, Donna, I'm sorry, I, I've been kind of monopolizing the, uh, the questioning here, but uh, uh, when we come back, and we're going to come back in a couple minutes, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Arson Immunity Acts that, that are present in, in all 50 states of the, uh, in the United States, and also uh, I want to talk about arson. I want to talk about arson deterrence, and I want to talk about um, how... Um, when there is an incendiary fire, um, these arsonists better not feel comfortable, because what's going to happen is you're going to have you're going to have the public sef- sector people looking for you. You're going to have the private investigators looking for you, and we're going to be checking all kinds of aspects of your background, and we're also going to be able to talk to each other uh, after the uh, the initial. Um, the initial fire scene is determined to be incendiary uh, by the public people. Then the private people come in, and and, and uh, they exchange these things called arson letters So we're going to talk a little bit about that, if that's okay with you, gentlemen. Sure. All good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, same way with, uh, we'll talk about, uh, uh, I know it's different, uh, Kevin, I, know, I, I keep putting you on the spot about ATF, but uh, <laughs> you're, you've fine. got the... Yeah, but uh, there's a there's a different. It's just a little bit different. They share information too, but it's a it's a little bit different process. Uh, but uh, we want to. When we come back, we'll talk about that also. And Donna, I promise to give you a little bit more space um, to uh, ask a question or two. Is that okay?
2: Yeah, no, that's okay. I'm I'm remote today, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, Donna's not here uh, today. She's uh, she's off site, and so she's calling in now. If anybody listened to the lighter side of fire investigations, you. Uh, Don, are you in the closet right now? <laughs>
2: I'm not in the closet this time.
1: <laughs> okay, she, she spent out, that whole yeah she, yeah she had been in the closet on, on that whole show because there was a they were a, what was it equipment outside and it was making a lot of noise so you had. To I
2: do. I do. However, have a snoring Labrador at my feet under my desk. So there you go. <laughs>
5: Okay. Oh, hey, as to the task force conversation we were having, yes. um, uh, got there, there's a, there's a, in South Texas, when we started our task force down there, the primary reason was the local guys who wanted to become CFIs could not get enough work. So we commuted or started this task force so everybody could go back and forth and get fire investigation training under their belt so they could qualify to become a CFI. So we that's also great. treated it as a, uh, a training scenario that well, uh, it would do. So just something that's what I wanted to talk about, Means we're talking about
1: training.
2: Okay,
5: uh, it was thanks. a good opportunity for okay. little towns who never had fires.
1: Okay, well, we have to take a break now. So, uh, so when you come back, please come back to Speaking of Fire.
5: Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go, on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or
0: Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net.
5: Now, you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, Blackberry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, Blackberry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show. Please call one 472 5788 That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us.
1: Okay, so before we lo- uh, left uh, for the break... We, I, I said uh, this—the teaser, as they call them in in radio land um, and TV land—that we wanted to talk about arson. So, um, Todd, when you go to a fire scene and you find out that it's a set fire, it's an incendiary fire—is what we call it in uh, professional fire investigations. Um, what happens then? Well,
3: uh, oftentimes, that decision isn't actually. Uh, isn't actually made until we get our samples back from the lab. Now, there are situations where the scene just tells us something's really weird going on, uh, but that when that happens, uh, or on in a situation where we just can't really put two and two together to come out to what actually happened here, usually the first thing we're going to do is have a canine come out. Uh, and canine will give us uh, some clues on to where, where to take our samples. Um, but in those situations where, you know, It happens sometimes where there's a witness that says, hey, I just saw that guy light his house on fire. Well, at that point, we're going to get the police involved and uh, have some uh, interviews and interrogations potentially and uh, try to get to the bottom of it.
1: Right, so you do take samples, and you believe in. Uh, now I do. I mean, I, I accelerant detection canines. I'm very, I'm very high on them. Me too. I think they're very good. And and uh, and you do you have a uh, do you have a dog in at your department, or do you call someone else? Uh, would have
3: to call in uh, one of your previous guests, Rusty Valentine, is the first phone number I would call.
1: Right, and uh, yes, he's been he's very good. He he did very good show on on uh, on canines, and then Alex, uh, you're you were. Um, you're a private investigator. Did you have access to dogs, too? Well, we have access. I mean, there
4: are several dogs out there that you have access to. You, some uh, clients like them. Some clients don't. and They're the ones paying the bill, so that's how you use them. But, I mean, okay. uh, yeah, they're out there, and uh, you can have access to them.
1: And it's, and it's a tool. It's, it's sort of like a shovel, isn't it? it? It's exactly what it is.
4: It, a dog is nothing more than a tool, a good tool, but a tool.
1: Uh, and it and it helped it helped in kind of determining areas to take samples. But we we've been doing before Accelerant, You and I are been right. in the business for a while. We um, before that. Well, initially,
4: we, when you and I started. They had these little uh, gas detector things that we could use. Oh yeah, and the sniffers. Yeah,
1: sniffers. And that, I never thought sniffers would work. Well, but so but again, it was a tool. Yes, yeah, just like your shovel is a tool. That's right. And so, yeah, but we could determine where to take samples by, by our our training and experience. Well, sometimes you didn't need a dog. You could just smell it, yes. That's yes, <laughs> true. And, and, and then now let's go to Kevin. Kevin, what did the ATF yes. do? Did the, the ATF use canines, accelerant detection canines? Uh,
5: they do have a small program that uh, has a couple of dogs, yes. Um, and I was very fortunate to uh, have a, an ATF accelerant canine. Uh, in my uh town where I worked, the handler lived in the in my, my town and worked numerous 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 fires with a dog and uh it's gr- it 's really great to have a backup to to what you're you're seeing what and what you're finding uh when you say "Well I think there's something here and then go get the dog and the dog does this thing and it comes over and it comes right where you you first have made a uh, determination that you think there's some activity in this area, and the dog says, yeah, yeah I think so, too.
1: Well, there's uh, been some con- controversy about, uh, about uh, canines. The, um, a particular individual, that we remember, name, nameless here, um, constantly is talking about uh, how they should have, uh, that, that, that handlers can make uh, the uh, dog alert uh, in certain uh, scenes and, and uh, personally, that's not my it's not my feeling. But uh, um, w- I think everybody needs to know that that even though a, a dog alerts are, we take samples in certain places. They ha- they have to be backed up by laboratory analysis.
4: Right, that's, that's correct. correct. So even correct. If, even if the handler has an agenda, uh,
1: unknown to anybody else, again, it has to be supported by the evidence from the lab. Right, and, and what's important is to know that, uh, and, and by the way, you, um, some people are, are uh, I don't know why to get this, but they, they believe the idea is that some, some people are planting evidence there, that they're, they're salting the scenes with this gasoline, and they don't realize that laboratory analysis can determine whether or not it's, it's uh, been uh, through a fire or not. Yeah, That's they can correct.
4: tell whether it's been weathered uh, right. or unweathered gasoline. Right.
1: Uh, and then why would a person want to salt the scene anyway? Yeah, no, it's stupid. It would throw their whole career. Um, okay, so Todd's doing a, an investigation. He, he decides as an origin in, or, or determines that there was fire was set. Um, takes his samples, of course, uh, and, and he has the police working on it. But then the private investigators uh, for the insurance carriers or attorneys or something, or even defense attorneys, come in and say, Okay, we want a fire investigator too. So that's where that's where you and I get involved in it, Alex. Or we would have when before you retired, you would have been there. <laughs> okay, but so talk about. Go ahead, Alex, and talk about what the what what does the private fire investigator do when they go in and decide that they that there is also they they just. First of all, they go in there with a clean slate, correct?
4: Correct. Uh, The fire is fresh to me, just like it is to Todd when he shows up. Uh, He was called there usually by the incident commander. Uh, He goes there and he talks to the incident commander and then goes and does his own scene work and comes to his own conclusion. I I did much the same thing. I would get a call from an insurance company. Even if they had some information, I would keep that information. But when I went there to the fire scene... I started fresh, and uh, it was my observations and the evidence that led me to my conclusion. It wasn't what somebody
1: said or didn't say. That's right. And as a matter of fact, and we do as private investigators, because we are also very cognizant of NFPA 921, we uh, we strictly and totally avoid confirmation bias or expectation bias. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, and I think bias, you, not
4: bias. Mike, I'm sure that you've had circumstances where somebody called you up and said, "I want you to look at this fire. I know it's a set fire," and you go out there and it's not. I mean, right, it, absolutely, it, it happens all the time. You know, I think it's the toaster, and the toaster
1: isn't anywhere near the fire. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, that's yeah, that's that's exactly right. And Kevin, have you uh, you've run across that too, uh, both in your private investigations and uh, and in the public sector? Right, there's some some people uh, that will try and uh, and and kind of. Uh, say, well, it's set fire, isn't it? I think it's you know. Are they? Um, did you experience that?
5: Yes, yeah, there was no, no no difference as to what side of the fence you're on, as whether it was uh, public or or private. People people have their opinions, um, and you can listen to their opinion. I, I'll listen to their opinion, uh, but it's ultimately you you have to fall back on your own your own training. And uh, conduct that investigation uh, the the proper way. And as uh, was earlier said, a lot of times, what you learn through the investigation is is nowhere near what the person uh, said what they thought
1: happened. Right, and uh, and as a matter of fact, and and I run this, I run into this a lot of times. It's some someplace burns right and then automatically one of the neighbors believes that they burned it themselves and they'll say that to a firefighter or a, or a policeman or are we one of us when we're doing a neighborhood canvas Well, wow, he, he shouldn't have set his house on fire did you see him set his house on fire <laughs> do you know what <laughs> you know anything it's just automatically there's some people that automatically assume that every fire is a set fire um and which is a which is terrible um, there has to be a lot of information. There has to be a lot of burn pattern analysis. There has to be sampling. There has to be all kinds of things that, that come together for, for a, a fire to be proven to be incendiary. So um, now, Todd, so you're, you're the firefighter. You've, you've, you've done your investigation. Now uh, the, the private investigator comes along, and he does his investigation. And, and whether or not uh, you guys agree, which, but there is a, there is a mechanism that you guys can talk to each other without, with, with impunity in that you can't, there's a thing called an Arson Immunity Act. And all that means is that you cannot be sued by someone uh, for sharing information as long as you've uh, met the provisions of this, of this Arson Immunity Act. And it's different in every uh, different states. They have different provisions. So, but in Kansas and Missouri, they're similar. In that uh, we can send you a a, an, um, a letter on letterhead from the arson immunity act, under the arson immunity act and list the statute, and you can send us one uh, on your your letterhead, and then as long as we're meeting the provisions, we can trade information. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, um, by definition, any fire that uh, is under investigation or has not been investigated yet is is undetermined and uh like i said before sometimes it takes some time for our samples to come back from the lab and there's a period of time in there where i've got a fire which i might have something in my head that makes me think that there's something weird going on but i've got my samples at the lab and i'm waiting on the results and uh i know that these uh, insurance companies are uh going to have private investigators on that scene and they might be able to get some more information um, than I was able to get in the uh, two or three hours I was able to spend uh, at, at the scene. Uh, so that's the reason why we want to uh, be able to share that type of information and, and make sure that, that uh, justice is served.
1: Right. And as far as a, let's, let's take a uh, okay so if we can help each other out, in essence, and, and that deters arson, and it should deter arson because if you're thinking about setting a fire to your house, ladies and gentlemen, don't think you don't get comfortable because we're going to there's there's going to be private invest in uh, public and private investigators looking at you. Um, but here's the deal, uh, similar to what he just said. Let's say there's three things that's that's always a civil defense, uh, like an like an insurance company. If they're going to get if they're going to get uh, you know, if you set fire to your own place, you, you can't get paid for it, that's, uh, that's an exclusion. you can't set fire to your own place and make an insurance claim and get paid for it, that's, that's silly. There's different, it's a contract and it says if you misrepresent things, uh, are substantial misrepresentations, like you you said you were at the lake and, and you were really across the street, uh, or you were in the house when the fire was set, uh, then that's uh, that's a substantial misrepresentation. Well, anyway, I'm not an attorney, but let me tell you, I've been told three things. One is that you have to have an incendiary fire for an insurance defense. Two is is that there has to be a motive for the uh, insured or uh, to do it. And then three, it has, it has to have opportunity for the insured or someone acting in their behalf to do it. So you just can't hire your brother-in-law. Uh, to said fire to your house while you're really at the lake. Okay, so and, and if you do, we're going to find out about the brother-in-law. So, uh, so those three things for a civil defense. Now, Alex, when you go into a fire scene, you go into it like a slate, right? Just right. Uh, uh, and and if you if you think it's a, a set fire, then what happens? Then? Well, uh, I'll take samples, send them to the lab,
4: just much like Todd does. Okay, and then. Uh, Once I determine that the fire, that I believe that the fire is incendiary, then we'll send an arson immunity letter to someone like Todd and uh, to exchange information. Uh, It's not that we're running the same investigation, it's just uh, sharing information so that each party can move forward. Uh,
1: separate but parallel. Separate but parallel. Correct. Yes. And and so, and so, like, well, Todd was saying that sometimes we get, uh, private investigators can get information that he isn't readily available to him because he would have to have a subpoena, right?
4: Well, a, a lot of times there are people who are available at the time Todd is there mm-hmm. that uh, and they may not be available at the time I'm there. And, and the same works, saying I may be able to get, have, you know, access to someone that Todd doesn't have access to.
1: That's right. And then SIU units, special investigations units for insurance companies, uh, after the expert fire investigator turns over and the, uh, informs them of the, of the, of the circumstances, then they can delve deeper into checking out whether or not the insured did it, okay, right? Correct. Then they can get things like financial uh, information, which might be helpful to Todd, right? It might be helpful to Todd, and uh, it's still it's still part of a
4: thorough investigation. As Todd talked earlier about, when he gets to the scene, he talks to the incident incident commander to see what his observations were and what activities they performed Mm
2: -hmm.
4: as a private investigator I need to know that same information so I contact Todd and get that information from Todd or at least he or uh, he'll uh, put me in contact with the person you know the incident commander Mm -hmm. and for the same reason I need to know that information whether it's a cooking fire or an
1: incendiary fire yeah and under the uh, and under the uh, provisions of the of the contract of insurance if let's say it's an incendiary fire and uh, there's a there's a uh, provision that says that the insured has to give an examination under oath so they so an attorney is hired and they and they take this guy's sworn statement right correct and and some of this information may or may not be um, beneficial to the law enforcement uh, investigation Correct, and and they, and then under the provisions of these arsenic immunity act, you you can exchange that information. Correct. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. you, would you find Todd? Would you find that beneficial if you? If well, I'll, at I'll,
3: I'll I'll take any information I can get as long as it's deemed accurate.
1: Right. Okay. It's true. Yeah. and you'll verify it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Now, Kevin, you're you're um, you were an ATF agent all those years, and now you're a new, uh, not new. You've been in private investigations for a couple of years now. So, how do you did you find a? Was it an awakening experience to change uh, from from public to to private?
5: Uh, well, first of all, I, I want to say that I am at the lake. And I hope nothing <laughs> happens to my house while, while I'm up here. Um, yes, because um, a lot of times, uh, you know, you're an ATF agent and you want information from uh, the, the fire department or uh, a witness, A well, in, almost anybody. It was a phone call and, and uh, information was obtained. Uh, on this side... Uh, yeah there's there's a lot of different people that um, that you have to answer to uh, the The company you're working for, the insurance company that the company's working for uh, attorneys uh, the other uh, att- insurance companies who are also going to be involved um, I haven't come across a, a case yet that has had more than five or six uh, interested parties. Uh, let alone 44, like you mentioned before, yes. Yes. and I hope that doesn't come along anytime soon. Um, but as as an ATF agent, especially on an NRT, you you didn't have that while you were out there doing your investigation. Um, either somebody else was doing it, or it it didn't need to be done. Um, so yes, being on this side of uh, of the industry was a huge awakening.
1: Yeah, as a matter of fact, we're going to have a show on, on that transition again from uh, public to private because it's not as easy as uh, people believe. Uh, uh, I think, um, well, uh, well, Todd, you work both sides of it too, haven't you? I mean, yep. uh, did you, what did you think was the most uh, challenging part of that? Well, <clears throat> when you work in your investigation
3: from the, from the uh, public sector, um, you're not so much concerned about other interested parties. Correct. Now, I, I can recognize the fact that there's going to be a private guy coming behind me, and he's going to want to see the scene. But uh, you know, if you're uh, you, you've got you've got a fire to put out, number one. Uh, which is something i think the fire department's getting better at uh, it's not uncommon certainly wasn't uncommon in the past for an investigator to walk into his area of origin and find nothing but studs mm-hmm. because the fire department got aggressive with their overhaul uh, we've we've, we've as, as my fire department we've actually uh, changed our standing operating standard operating guidelines for uh, investigations to have a priority over unnecessary overhaul Uh, So we get an investigator, whether it's me or one of the ship's investigators, we actually get them into the house so they can, you know, perform the best they can at that point of their initial scene assessment.
1: Oh, they still break the basement windows?
3: Well, they break a lot of
5: windows.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And on that, on the ATF side,
5: we did not spend a whole lot of time in our training uh, in respect to the private sector side, other than that dreaded word, spoliation. Um, That was about the only training that, uh, as far as the private sector, that we paid attention to.
4: Yeah, Kevin, we've talked about arson immunity letters, which are at the state level and at the local level, but there is no arson immunity at the federal level, is there?
5: Uh, No, but we always would follow the guidelines of the state um, for no other reason out of courtesy for the the agency that we're requesting information from and for their protection
4: okay so you had mentioned spoliation. so the atf is aware of spoliation, and they take steps to uh prevent it
5: well as todd said uh our f- first goal is to arrive on the scene at the request of the agency to investigate the scene and a lot of times uh uh didn't seem to be the, the primary concern. it was getting to the origin and cause. Um, and I felt a lot of times that we sh- that we should have taken a little bit more uh, a little bit more time and been a little bit more cautious as to part of the systems of the building while we were looking at a different section of the building. Uh, well, and, paying a little bit more attention to that for the person that's going to be coming in behind us.
1: Yeah, in a perfect world, all of us would be very, very uh, cognizant of all the aspects. Donna, I said I would let you talk more, and I, and I haven't, I they haven't let you ha- ask a question. Have we got a question of people here?
2: Oh, that's okay. I'm actually going to take an opportunity to plug here, since I'm amongst IWAI fellow IWAI people. Uh, I am the chairman of the International Membership Committee, and what you've heard today, listeners, is you're hearing the leadership of of the Kansas Chapter, Missouri Chapter and the international and how important it is that we communicate like this. The reason that we have this show, the reason that we are talking to you, is because it's raising the bar of professionalism. Some of you may not have known about the 16 points in 1033 and that you need to be tracking that. You need to be listening and and spending your resources with instructors that are certified instructors that can meet those requirements because that is a standard. 1033 is a standard for you to keep your career. And so it's, it's good for you to join your local chapter, join the international, and this is, these are the people that are going to be training you and this is what you need to continue your education and your career.
1: Oh, that's great, and, and I'm glad you said that, Donna, because uh, now um, it only costs $100 a year to be a member of the International. Uh, it only, it's only like $20 a year to be a state chapter member, depending on where you're at. Um, what does that relate to, like $100? What does that relate to? Like, so people,
2: you're, talking, yeah. you're talking a couple of Happy Meals at McDonald's a month, and <laughs> even if your, your fire department or your police department, or even if you work in the private world, if they won't allot those monies, it would behoove you to do it yourself For because it's your career. As Randy Watson, chair of the CFI committee, says, there's only one seat on the witness stand. So it's, it's up to you to guide your career path. It's up to you to put – you can put – ten dollars a month into your career by joining these these chapters in the international and knowing what's going on because if if you don't think that whatever happens in new york or california affects your career i got news for you it does
1: you're right and you know what we've got about a minute left but uh, i want to thank you kevin for being here uh, thank you Okay, and and Alex, thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And and Todd, thank you for being here too. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so in our next on uh, our com- upcoming shows, we, we have the the uh, Ocean County uh, Prosecutor's uh, Task Force, uh, and uh, we'll be having some uh, sprinkler show uh, about sprinklers, and we'll be having a, a fire protection show about commercial buildings, and so, gentlemen. Thank you again, and uh, Donna, thank you. And we'll be coming back, and when you come back next week, come back to Speaking of Fire.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week. And every week.